Welcome, everybody, to the Friday edition of the Community Forum. Come on in. How was your day so far? I hope it was good. Today, I'm joined by our community members, our Patreon YouTube supporters. We got Mike. We got Rodman. We got Hans. Some of these might, might be familiar faces. These guys are brilliant, and they're always sharing their ideas on this channel, which I super appreciate. And of course, if you're in the comments, please make sure you also take part of this conversation. And our super special guest, the greatest left-hand turn person in the world, okay? Mr. Chuck <laughs> Cook. Welcome, my friend. How you doing? Hey, everybody. Great. That was pretty dramatic. I love the greatest. I don't know. But okay. Hey, I'll take it. Thank you. Great to be here. I have a, I have a flair for um, my, my wife always tells me she's like, you, because, you know, I try to surround my life with as little drama as possible, but I always try to, like, you know, bring as much flair as humanly possible. She's like, you actually love drama, don't you? I'm like, I kind of do. I kind of do. I like to make things a little bit more dramatic. But um, welcome in, Chuck. Really, really glad to have you, man. I, I'm very excited to talk with you. I'm sure everybody here is excited to talk to you as well. Lots to talk about uh, specifically around. Uh, full self driving, but we also want to get to know all, all, all your different thoughts about m multiple things. But uh, like I said before, in the comments section, if you do want to uh, share any thoughts or questions you have as we're talking about it, I'm going to be monitoring the comments. But this is going to be a free flowing conversation where we're just going to see where the conversation flows. And we'll start with something pretty interesting here. So uh, about 40 minutes ago, uh, Chuck, you share this tweet on your uh, on your Twitter. Uh, so do you want to Kind of give us a little bit of background here, and then we'll start yeah. this as a as a conversational topic. Here. Absolutely, uh, you know it, it's really quite amazing. Yeah, so I don't live very far from the unprotected left turn uh, that kind of became famous uh, with Elon uh, commenting on it, and then subsequently putting it uh, in the release notes for ten thirteen that were leaked. It's still not out yet, of course. Um, but since April, uh, I've seen Teslas that were doing things that just you don't do when you're in the neighborhood. Uh, initially, uh, I saw Black Model 3, and then kind of it was a little bit of a gap. But then all of a sudden, uh, a few weeks ago, um, I started seeing these Model Xs stack up. And there's not a whole lot of Model Xs in our neighborhood. They're mostly Model 3s and Model Y. And they were stacking up at the turn. And I'm like, you know, I'll bet they're doing this turn. And I kind of started poking around. And I don't have a lot of insider uh, contact, but I have enough. I'm about two degrees of separation away from a lot. Um, and, and then they started saying, yeah, you know, we're focusing on your turn. I was like, okay, wow. So they're, they're collecting data. And uh, if anybody's ever had uh, a mobile service technician come out, you, you know, I, I, they have some equipment to connect to our cars in certain ways. These uh, ADAS cars, I have learned, have special software on them for data collection. Um, but anyway, um, two days ago, I think, three days ago, my, uh, my family, my wife and my son were driving actually just to the grocery store. And they're kind of eagle eye for these two because I got all eyes out on the road. And this exact car, um, and I'm, I'm hiding the license plate just so nobody's tracking these guys, but um, was doing the turn. Has a Wawa sticker in the back left corner. That's what that is. Interesting little uh, thing there. Multiple mm -hmm. cars have had Wawa stickers, which maybe goes to the connection of the superchargers or something like that. I don't, I don't know, but they both, I've seen multiple cars with Wawa stickers. And um, this car is out here doing the unprotected left and it goes and my wife was running an errand and she texted me back and goes, hey, I got another picture of a driver. And I was in the backyard doing another one of my crazy hobbies. And I just basically booked it over to the turn because I've been trying to meet these guys and wave and say hi and say thanks for what you're doing. Really appreciate it. And, and maybe get to know a couple of their names, whatever. Um, and just, you know, hey, take a selfie or something like that. I thought that'd be cool. But uh, so I was out there standing kind of about half a block away from the turn in an area that I've filmed many times. 
And then all of a sudden the black model X that you see in this picture starts coming around the bend, kind of pauses and then turns left. So they kind of saw me, I think, and uh, ducked out and um, which is unfortunate, but, but at the same time, I don't know what rules they operate under and they may have some rules about non-interference or no, don't interact or, you know, stay on the down low. And here I was out there standing on the corner. So maybe I was actually interfering in their work. And if so, and you guys are watching this, I apologize. Don't mean to interfere with your work at all. Uh, I want you to get as much data as you can. Yeah, so that's the story. You know, they're out there banging out um, some testing, obviously, on 1013. If you look close on this plate, I hid the numbers, but it is a Texas manufacturer tag. Not many mm -hmm. Texas manufacturer tags on Model X's uh, here in Northeast Florida, where I live in Jacksonville. So, yeah, that's the story. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. How does it feel? And actually, before I even ask this question, I want to make this a topic of conversation at some point. So breaking news, what we just uh, heard here is that Herbert Dees is actually leaving Volkswagen. Uh, so I just want to throw that out oh, there, wow. but we'll make that a topic of discussion here. That's actually pretty good news. But how does it feel to actually be immortalized in a release note? The Chuck Cook left hand turn, unprotected left. How does that feel? Well, it, first of all, you know, you know, some people they, you know, have, have, have said a really a lot of nice things. And believe it or not, I don't get a lot of um, hate on Twitter or Reddit or anywhere, which is a little bit unusual, I think, in those environments. I don't get much of that. Maybe I just be positive energy and ignore the negative and that's the result. But yeah. uh, I'm proud and humble, actually, you know, because, you know, I've been taking videos now for almost two years and, you know, you kind of throw it out there in the ether and you try to improve and it's a little bit of a hobby of mine as it probably is yours as far as I don't equipment and technology and yeah, getting it all sure. working so it, it, the quality is really there. And, you know, I've learned a little bit along the way with the CAN bus and putting up a little bit of a HUD data on my overlay. You know, uh, I did an HDMI mod to my own monitor myself with a little bit of help. I had some technical information, but I did the soldering myself. Ended up having to get another one uh, after a while because my soldering points were not so great. Uh, 52 year old eyes. Hmm. Uh, but anyway, it, um, it, and so I've invested in it. And I, you know, so I'm really glad that maybe all of this has paid off a little bit and we're getting some attention on some things that are hard. And, and I, you know, I'm gonna just start off with the elephant in the room. I, I don't think our camera placement is adequate. I, I don't think mm. the B-pillar location is adequate to remove the driver. Now, when I say remove the driver, it's gonna be great, like autopilot is on the highway. And I really think it's gonna go a long way with the driver in the seat because they can get away with a lot. And I come from a background with some regulatory experience in the airlines, mm -hmm. things where you really kind of gotta work for the FAA and getting that last mile I think is going to be hard because of some use cases that are out there. Now, you can solve it with many mitigations. You can do constrained environments. You can do some other things to actually control where the car can go, but that's not their strategy at the moment. That could change, though. I mean, they're doing constrained environments up in Toronto right now. So who knows? So that's kind of um, how I feel. Humbled, but, you know, at the same time, proud and glad that the effort is is helping Tesla, hopefully. I hope I haven't created a problem they can't solve and it's public because that would be bad. I, I, that is not my intent. I'm not out there trying to show unsolvable things. I'm just trying to show things that they need to work on. Right. Okay. Where, um, sorry, go ahead, Hans. Go for it. Can, yeah, can you explain a little more on the, uh, the B pillar issue that you're going into? What is it that yeah. you're seeing that makes you hesitant that, you know, they can really get a good bird's eye view that is consistent with the current camera locations. Uh, like yeah. what types of, uh, I guess, corner cases are you seeing that are causing issues there? And yeah, yeah. tell us a little bit more it's, about all well, that. Well, it's geometry in my mind. Um, if, 
Now, and there's a lot of excuses and arguments to this. You can argue both mm-hmm. sides, and I can argue both sides for you if, if you'd like. But it comes down to if we're operating in an unconstrained environment, which means the car is going to go anywhere and it's going to use vision, then, okay, that's our operational domain. And let's say, let's think of some tough spots where, you know, you have to be safe. And when there are obstructions in the United States to the left, and it could be a fence, it could be a box truck, it can be a building. Green has filmed some buildings. The B pillar in my Model Y, and I will say the Model X, the Model S, the Model 3, and the other cars, Cybertruck and, and Semi, will all be different. The B pillar, when I'm sitting in my seat, is behind my head. Okay, so it cannot improve its left-hand view any more than that angle. The Ford cam has a 120-degree field of view, so it's got 60 degrees either side of center line, and the repeater cam has a 90-degree field of view, but tilted straight back. It isn't good for looking at left traffic. The B-pillar camel location also has a stated range at its current resolution and implementation of 80 meters. So that range and angle behind my head. I like to tell people, if you want to know what I'm saying, take your own Tesla, slide your seat back where your car is about even with the B-pillar, and then duct tape your head to your headrest <laughs> and go drive. And just tell me the number of times that you don't even realize it, that when you get to a stop sign when there's obstruction, you lean way forward so you can see to the left, especially when there is high-speed traffic like on my unprotected left-hand turn. These cars are coming at 50 to 60 miles an hour, 80 meters of range equates to about three and a half seconds of distance. Mm-hmm. Creeping is their current strategy of getting the B-pillar as far out as you can into the traffic, but you get to the point where creeping can only go so far before you're in the traffic. There are some obstructions that you have to get into the road before you can see around the obstruction. That's my the physics of it. Now, you can solve this by avoiding it. Go around. If you can't see, mm-hmm. find some other way. Turn right, do a U-turn. Navigation can solve it that way. Or you can constrain the domain on the maps and say, hey, these spots have natural problems, fences, walls, bricks, things like that, that that we just haven't been able to solve because of the high-speed traffic. If the traffic is going 30 miles an hour, you can do what I call granny mode and just kind of ease out on the road and nothing's Mm going to happen probably. They're going to see you. They're going to stop. There's plenty of reaction time. Onto my road out here with 50 to 60 mile an hour traffic, you can't get out there. So that's that's the argument. You know, the other side, you know, some people would say, and I'm just going to give this argument because it is out there, that the 1970s cars with huge V8 engines in them have much more hood in front of them. And they safely have been allowed to drive in the United States with humans behind them. And I'm like, well, that's a valid point. And and that may be the case. I just don't think NHTSA and or the regulators are going to allow that with no driver in the car Mm -hmm. for some time. Anyway, that's the argument. Chuck. Oh, sorry. No, please, please. So um, sometimes, like, are there times of the day where, like as a human driver, you'll go to that intersection to make the left turn and there's just too much traffic that it might take too long for you to navigate that, that you just go the other direction. Yeah, uh, rush hour, it can be that way. Some people sit there and wait a minute and a half and then realize it isn't going to happen and then they go right. Yeah, there are times a day it is that dense. Uh, usually around rush hour, around 8.30 to 9.30 and in the afternoons between 2.30 and 5.30. So have you noticed it ever giving up on like making that left turn and then just doing the right and then coming back around? Or is that something that doesn't uh, happen? There was a version. Um, I don't have a, a photographic memory of versions. It was back in the version nines, I believe. If you search my YouTube channel, you'll say mm-hmm. continuous right loop. 
there was a um, a time that it never tried to left and it just went into a little loop and it, and it kept bringing itself right. back mm-hmm. to the same spot. So that won't work either. If, if you're going to bail to the right, then you got to find another solution. Don't bring yourself back around to the same point. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, U-turns need to be solved in other, in really to do the planner thing. Um, when you sit at that turn, there's plenty of video out there. You can look at the trajectory vector. I call it trajectory. Some people call it tentacles. Some people call it projected path. And you see it flitter back, forth, back, forth, back, 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 forth. And mm-hmm. it, you can see it planning and figuring it out. So there are times where it goes, no, I'm going right. I haven't figured out if that is intentional or the vision can't see across the median as can created what it sees is not a, a, a drivable path. There's some argument that right. there's a little hump in the road and it can't see on their side of it. So it goes right because it doesn't think there's a road to the left. I'm not convinced which of those it mm-hmm. is yet. Interesting. Sorry. Do Go we, ahead, Farza. No, please. You're good. Do we know what the gap, so the, the 120 degree forward looking view camera, and then you have the B pillar camera. What, do we know what the field of view is for that camera? Is it like 90 degrees? I, it's, or? it's 90, but it's tilted forward. I, I'm doing this okay. for memory. If I'm off by a little bit, it is 90 and there are plenty of graphics out there. It's tilted okay. forward. And then the repeater is tilted aft. And Backwards. They overlap by about three or five degrees, kind of in this horizontal spot, but but not, okay. not much. Okay. So that was going to be my question. Is So when we're thinking about the the position of where you would have to move your head forward to look left, to make the left, does does is there overlap between the P pillar camera and the 120 degree camera? Well, and, w- and how big is the gap? Do we know how big so, that gap is? So you're getting your geometry wrong now because now my head is moving forward, which is the fulcrum of that triangle. And yeah. if the B pillar is in, the, in back, that overlap doesn't matter unless you're playing with the parallax down the field of view. So no, the, okay. the B pillar, is think of it as forward 90, repeater is aft 90. They do overlap in the middle, but the repeater looking aft cannot see the traffic when you're at looking left. I'm talking about the forward the, the forward view camera. The, the, so the 120 degree forward oh, looking camera well, and the B pillar. To do that, yeah. to get to 180 degrees, which would be right off of my yep. beam, and I'll give you a 10 degrees forward, you know, you got 120 to 180 or 60. So I, ne- I would need to turn 50 degrees to get that very left edge of that 120 degree camera to get to look in that direction. I gotcha. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Have you, th- have you thought of what the, so what would be your, so, so say you had, say you, you were at Tesla and you're like, Chuck fixed it. Like you can fix it. Like do whatever yeah. you want. What, what would you do? Um, what would, what changes would you make? Well, it depends on how much money I had. If I had uh, a quick fix, we got to do a retrofit, (laughs) you know, a retrofit in in play, things like that. You know, in in my mind, the repeater, and and first of all, let's go back to our premise, better than a human, right? Safer than a human, Mm. superhuman driving. So that means if I can lean forward to my steering wheel, I would want that camera as at least as far forward as I can lean. If if I'm allowed to drive in, in this car on the road, then the steering wheel forward. So you have the the, the, the side mirror location, you have the repeater location, and then some people would say headlight location to put an additional camera. I personally think the cheapest fix would be to create a repeater camera that could look sideways as well as aft. Now, adding additional cameras on a hardware three system uh, may not work because I believe mm-hmm. we have eight ports on the hardware board. So you might have to do time sharing with different angles and that could get into the neural network training and just not work. And there may be reasons they can't do it. And that's okay. But I, you know, I, to me, I just, I, I continually say that this is going to go a long way, just like it does on, on the highway with improving in city streets 
And everybody that paid for FSD is going to get FSD city streets. I just, when we can pull that driver out to take, um, you know, the, the onus of some of these scenarios in an unconstrained operational domain, I, I can't see it at the moment with some obstructions mm -hmm. unless we avoid them with software. Interesting. Okay. So then if, if I have the, the picture of the Model 3 up right now, so we're thinking something like just have a camera right here that would face out um, or give you that sort of that side view, right? That would allow you to essentially yeah. uh, see the, the, the what would have been an obstruction in its current form. You'll be yeah. able, but then you'll, you're to your point, you're adding two cameras to the neural net and God knows what that's going to do as far as like, okay, let's figure out yeah. how, to, how to interpret this new data. Okay. And video input source capability mm -hmm. of the hardware three board I, is yeah. obviously fixed, right? Without an upgrade. And, you know, yeah. the processing speed of the chip on that board and, th and things like that are obviously constrained. I, you know, so that would be the cheap solution. Obviously, the expensive mm -hmm. solution is, hey, hardware four, let's get it right. You know, um, let's mm -hmm. just, you know, improve the perspective so the, the visibility to the left is better than a human. Simple as that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is such a divisive issue because of the people that love Tesla. And I'm just coming at this from a geometry and a physics and an engineering perspective. Mm -hmm. and, and I, I super appreciate that. That's car. super needed. Super I needed. I, yeah. And this is me driving my car. And I go around and find all sorts of weird things to go, let me see how it handles it. And its current mitigation strategy is creeping. That's all it has to mitigate right now is mm -hmm. creeping to get it to get that B pillar to where it can see. And and creeping is gonna work fine at 30 miles an hour. It just it, it it I haven't seen the processing speed yet make good decisions with good visibility on high speed traffic. And I'll say some of my uh, tests, if you look at my channel, are forward facing unprotected left hand turns. And that uses the forward camera, highest resolution, and highest range of 250 meters. So cameras are not the issue here. And it has to do the same math of projecting gaps based on high-speed traffic. It does better, for sure, but there are still some times, and, and we'll get, it's getting better, that it, it, you can feel it thinking almost a little bit slower than you. And I do think it's mm -hmm. because I can see 1,000 meters, at least to the point I can see a gap is coming. Mm -hmm. 250 meters is, is still kind of like 2400 vision um which is can be legal to drive with 2400 vision but um yeah so you know i think that all of this is going to get solved the stuff where visibility isn't an issue as long as they have the, the frames per second elon talked on his uh, call this week that they're getting up to 36 yep. frames per second that's awesome does resolution using vision equal range and i think the answer to that is yes you know at some point the first time it sees an object is one pixel at a certain distance. How much can they tweak those neural networks to where that distance gets as far as a human's? Mm -hmm. I don't know. And, and I'll say, I know it can't see you know as far as I can because it'll make the decision to go very close in front of the last car that's, and then it's wide open. So the better decision would be to let one more car go and then you got all the time in the world uh, to proceed. Anyway, I'm doing a lot Just of talking. I'll let you <laughs> No, you're good. You're good. Just for those that are not familiar, I have. So if, if you're not familiar with Chuck Cook's channel, just type Chuck Cook in YouTube. He's got uh, a ton of great videos that uh, where he puts the Tesla, his Tesla, which is a, a model a Y, is it? Or model model three, Y performance stealth. So I've got Gemini wheels, mm. but it's a white model Ooh. Y performance dual motor. <laughs> Got it. Um, and uh, as you can see on this video, so I have it up. I should have asked for permission. Is it okay for me to show this video? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. No, Sorry really about fun. that. Yeah. Uh, so this is from Chuck Cook's channel. So what's really great about this is that you can see the inside view on the lower right-hand corner where you can see what the screen is seeing. 
And then on the top and towards the left of the top, you can also see the inside view from the cockpit. But then you obviously have a drone shot mm -hmm. on the lower left corner. So that actually, really highlights. Yeah. Let me correct you, Farzad. It's better yeah. than that. Uh, so back up a little bit to where I'm at the turn. Um, sure. If you just want to scrub back or, or go to the next one. And then just kind of pause it where the car stops. Okay, um, so... You'll see it kind of come up and then you'll just see me stop. Okay, uh, well, it went for it. It rolled through that one. So that wasn't a great okay. one. Maybe you can find so one in a second. But what I'm, I'm, what I'm going to show you, you're seeing here, lower left-hand corner is pretty clearly uh, a drone shot uh, with the drone operator at the controls. And, and for those that are watching, I do have my uh, uh, FAR um, 107 FAA permit. I, I went through some a little bit of Tesla Q with reporting me to the FAA saying I didn't have the right permits. And I'm a commercial airline pilot. I have a, a pilot's license. Uh, but the monetization of YouTube's was considered a career. Um, so apparently um, I needed a special permit, which is effectively a good thing for the FAA. It's, it's training and, it, and I passed the test and I do have the permit mm -hmm. with these on YouTube now. Um, so it's a drone shot. What you're seeing on the top is a 360 degree camera that I'm um, rendering at 180 degrees. But the important thing about this is I placed that camera on top of my car, a beam the B pillar. So mm -hmm. what that means is what you're seeing is not what I'm seeing as the driver at the steering wheel. You're seeing what the B-pillar camera could possibly see with its location, right? So if you see where that fence is and they, that angle, that's the angle the B-pillar is looking there on that upper left-hand section of that 180-degree camera. So if you and, and then as the car scoots up, you see at 50 miles an hour, there's just no way, you know, you, you have to kind of, you know, be a little bit further forward. And the car does can get far enough forward on this turn. I want to make that very clear. This is not the use case that says B-pillar has to come because the car can creep far enough to where the B-pillar can see down the road with a very sharp angle. It has to look through some telephone poles, has to look pretty kind of steep angles so when it, cars mm -hmm. start to stack up on top of themselves in the distance and the like. So that, that uh, 360 cam is, is rendered there from the B-pillar location. On the lower right is my HDMI export that has the, um, the the feed directly, and I've synced them up so that it's as real time as I, I can down to, uh, I think it's 1 60th of a second synchronized. And the cool thing I like to show everybody that doesn't know what it is, is that little black bar on the top and that white circle on the left of my screen is data I extract from the CAN bus in real time and re-render some parameters that let you see things like the second torque is applied. I got the torque graph on there. I've got the torque being applied. That circle on the left-hand side of the screen is a 3D axis accelerometer reading the forward, lateral, and vertical acceleration. I had some help creating that by uh, Matthew Driver. Give him some shout-outs there on Twitter. He really helped me with that uh, 3D uh, rendering there. And then uh, the other you know, meters you can see up there, I can see when autopilot is engaged. And I've just thrown some things up there that were relevant. Um, and then, you know, with all of that, you know, there's a lot of information here to analyze. And I truly think that this is why Tesla has called me out, is there's just a lot here to analyze frame by frame. Um, and I sometimes grab my finger and tilt it so you can see what's being visualized, whether that's an accurate representation of what the car can see or just what they're choosing to show us. I have no idea, but Tesla would. And then, uh, you know, it's perspective from the B pillar is a little bit of an example here, just so you can kind of see how it has to creep to get somewhat of a view. Yeah. Anyway, I think, I think, explain it. 
Of course, yeah. No, I think what's what was so. Thank you for saying that because this kind of helps me. I, I've just gained a new sort of level of admiration for the for this video because so right here, as you can see on the bottom left, the car stopped, and then if you see here that B pillar view, it's completely obs obstructed by this fence, right? So th That's this would be a very line. At the stop line, right? So he's at the stop line. You can see the stop signs right here. But as a driver, you would be much closer to the stop sign here from the B pillar. You can't see anything. Like you have what, like maybe 10 feet right here, maybe 15, 20 feet of of, of use space. So then the car obviously yeah. has to creep and get encroach the the pedestrian uh, lanes to be able to yeah. actually see what the hell is going on. And you can actually see the position of the car there. So that's yeah. super helpful to understand. Okay, yeah. got it. There's, there's one point I want to highlight here, too. When you see this view and where the car has chosen to stop at the end of its creeping, it is pretty close to the edge of the road. And a lot of folks have said, hey, it can creep just fine. It's not in the lane of traffic. And what I want to just let people know, you tell me your tolerance to put the front fender of your Tesla near traffic. What's your tolerance? And as an example, I just would say, hey, as a pedestrian, and in my video that what that I described, described Chuck Cook's complex left turn, I actually go out and film it by hand. I'm like, listen, there's no traffic coming, but I'm going to go stand on that white line that defines the lane. And I get way out there. And I'm like, I would not stand here if there were cars coming. It's too close. Mm -hmm. Even if I'm not in the lane, it's too close. If you disagree with that, then go out on 995 or any interstate in your, in your state and stand on the yellow line. Just tell me, you know, that's what you're saying the car should be doing. And I'm like, no, it shouldn't. It needs a buffer, whatever mm -hmm. that buffer is until we're all robo taxi. Maybe it's a foot, maybe it's three feet. You know, everybody has their comfort zone, but on the line is too close. And if the car has to get on the line to see left, we're kind of getting in that buffer zone where my camera mm -hmm. argument is kind of like, yeah, it just needs to be able to see a little bit better. The headlights would be superhuman. Oh my God, I could see it before I could, which is really what I wished for, you know? Mm -hmm. I think what's also interesting about this spot is that it's it's a it's a really, it's a good straightaway. And, you know, like this might be a 55 mile per hour zone, but there's no way that people are going 55 miles per hour down that. They're they're going to hit 65. Yeah. Well, I and, and, you know, just living here over the last 25, 30 years, you can hear some motorcycle drivers in their youth that are... Um, flat out using it as a strip. And uh, we're talking hundreds of miles an hour um, on yeah. some narrow cases. It, it happens on straightaways mm -hmm. like this in, in anyone's hometown, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, it's a super interesting spot. Um, and I would just point out, going back to the top camera, that that is not the Tesla camera. Like no. he's getting much more view than you would get mm -hmm. out of that B-pillar camera. So yeah. whatever you think you're seeing here, it's completely yeah. different to the Tesla. And, I mean, and that's because I don't have access to the B pillar. And sure. for everyone that knows on their dash cam, the B pillar is not recorded. Um, only people that have ac accessed the MCUs after they've been in a wreck and been able to extract that data. I really right. wish I had access to the B pillar. I do have some old, mm -hmm. old videos where I put a GoPro exactly at the B pillar location and tried to simulate it a little bit. Um, it kind of gives a little bit of a, what would it be like? Um, right. This is actually a little higher than the B pillar also by about a foot because my Insta360 mm -hmm. sticks up about that far and it's suction cupped onto the glass. So it, it's got elevation advantage too. Yeah. And, but in, in any case, you're never going to get the same exact, like the focal length and like all the lens mm -hmm. geometry, like that's all going to be different. So yeah, I, I, I mean, it's great to have what you have, but like it's important for people to 
when they're looking at this to recognize that what you're seeing yeah. here is not what mm-hmm. the Tesla is seeing. And it makes a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would just say, you know, going back to like when the, a car is about the size of a pixel, um, AI just, I mean, it needs a certain amount of data before it can actually recognize yeah. like that it's a vehicle. And I mean, it's the same as our eyes, like something gets too small. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to recognize it, but you're going to need, you know, like a probably at least like a four to five, five, seven, like number of pixels that's mm-hmm. increasing in size over time before it's going to recognize that it's a car. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a super hard problem. I want to highlight a quick comment here real quick. Sorry, by Philip. Uh, So Philip says, I want to point out that this turn is not acceptable in the EU, not Sweden at list, at least uh, looks like straight up Russian roulette. But I'll tell you, these turns are everywhere in Texas as well. So this isn't just a Florida thing. Like there's so many of these near my house. Sorry, go ahead, Chuck. Yeah. And that goes back to the constrained environment question and, you know, and things like that. And, and believe me, uh, and, and the weird thing is I got two points to make here and I'll probably forget the second one by the time I get there. A lot of people say, why don't you just go to the stoplight? And there is a stoplight one block to the right. And over the 30 years I've lived here, there have been more accidents at that stoplight due to people running it than at this intersection where people are aware and doing the turn themselves. So it isn't always safer to go to the light if, if you obviously a Tesla might be able to handle being uh, you know, run into by a T-bone or run the red. But there's a lot of videos out there showing that it doesn't always work. Um, yeah, so... And like I said, I forgot my second point. It's the way my mind works. (laughs) (laughs) So how dangerous do you think it is if the Tesla goes into the lane with 55 mile an hour traffic or more? Um, Like if it's slowly, like very, very slowly going into the lane, people, Mm -hmm. if they're paying attention to the road, they'll see that in advance, you know, and switch lanes or slow down. But like, what are the odds that someone wouldn't see that and actually hit you, do you think? Uh, well, I guess you count the number of people texting while they're driving and you can probably derive the the risk there. You know, Elon tweeted a while back that they were going to introduce a little bit of reversing kind of logic that if they do do go too far, that they could pull back a little bit, which I was excited to see. There's a whole lot of things to think about with reversing, meaning like, you know, especially with a driver in the car, if it's completely autonomous, the car could do whatever it wants. But when I'm in the car, and if it's in reverse and I hit the accelerator, which way does it go? I, you know, I don't know what the answer that would be unless it was very clear. Um, and then, of course, you could get stuck if somebody's really tailing you and you're out too far and, and now you're in a situation. I, I've been there before, right? I goosed it or I've even backed up sometimes when it has gone too far. I, I just think the risk is not as safe as a human if you're putting yourself in traffic and don't have an yeah. option of where to go. So to answer your question. Yeah, yeah. I think that yeah. I think that's what what's really interesting here is that th- there's so many different behaviors that could be done to uh, to curtail this situation, but that defeats the purpose of having this system in the first place, in my opinion, because then you're essentially uh, putting mm-hmm. on layers that are going mm-hmm. to incentivize the driver to take over because they're like, well, it's going to go down this intersection. It's going to take five minutes longer. So I'll just drive myself. And then you are defeating the purpose of having the system, which in the long run is supposed to save lives. Right. And, but, but you're incentivizing humans to take over the wheel, you know? So to to me, that's where like that sort of uh, thing breaks down when, when the argument comes up, but we'll just go towards another place or or do this instead. It's Mm -hmm. like, well, no, it's it's all about yeah. carrots and sticks. You can't you can't put a right. carrot in front of a human driver. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You got to give them a stick or give them a carrot to use the force of driving system. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing I want to point out here now that you have the drone shot with the car up and, and what Elon actually said in the release notes and in his tweet was it should improve a Chuck Cook style left hand turn by improving. I think he even called it a, a pose of the ego car in the median. So really, all I'm hoping for in 10.13 is not for this turn to be licked, but it mm-hmm. to use the median as an option to not have to have all left and all right clear, which today it does. Today it waits on a clear left, clear right. I can go all the way. A human driver here waits on the left, goes into the median, but has to go at an angle. Mm-hmm. So that, and then it waits on the right. And ironically, when it creates that angle, the repeater camera looking to the right now comes mm-hmm. into play to be a very good camera to wait on the right side to be clear mm-hmm. uh, as it as it proceeds to the left. So, you know, just for everyone watching, and maybe I'll make a tweet about this at some point so it's clear, I don't expect turn 13 to solve my turn. I'm hoping that the median gets used in a logical way in certain scenarios to where it has an additional tool in its toolbox to attempt this intersection by leveraging the median. And that would help with a lot of things. Like in Utah, I see tons of roads that have like two lanes going one way, two lanes going the other way, and then a middle lane, which is a two-way left turn lane. People use that all the time during heavy traffic, you know, and right now autopilot doesn't use it at all ever. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do you think there's gonna be sorry, Hans, go ahead. Go for it. I was gonna say that'll be an interesting case. You know, I know in most states it's actually illegal to use that middle lane to merge into traffic although almost everyone does it. And so, yeah, how will Tesla handle something like that where you could technically get a ticket for that, but it's pretty much required in order to be functional? Are you talking about that? I call them suicide lanes. I don't know what they're called, where the center lane can be either or. Yeah. We have those all over here in Texas. Yeah. Yep. All over Utah. You're always supposed to use it. That that might be an interesting scenario to throw in. Um, I've tested it before. It does pretty good. It does not wait in that section yet because it doesn't know how to use median jet, but that that could be a good extension of this um, use case. Yeah. Chuck, have you done U-turns? I've tried to set it up, uh, and usually it's kind of a complete maneuver. Uh, Some people have filmed successful U-turns. I have not ever filmed one or had one complete. and it's a really interesting use case when you consider that it has to very accurately understand turning radius and the distance from it where it starts the turn and the far side uh, drivable space red line. Um, I, I, so I, you know, that is another tool it needs if rerouting is, mm-hmm. is its solution. Yeah. Like go, going back to your camera criticisms, I think one of the points that I've heard is that. FSD is not able to do those 180 <clears throat> or close to that, um, mainly because the camera setup is not accurate. I, yeah. I'm not, I can't speak to that, but um, yeah. it does seem like yeah. the B pillar and then the uh, the repeater cam, that setup is not sufficient to get the yeah. video geometry correct or whatever to, yeah. to accurately model like where it needs to go or to see what it needs to see to make those so turns. So your be, comment yeah. reminded me of my second point um, that I had a second ago. And yeah. it's the camera architecture was designed by Mobileye in 2016-ish. And it was designed for autopilot. And we're making it do something that probably wasn't in the roadmap, at least you know anywhere near on the roadmap for what it needed to do back then. 
right. uh, some of the functionality that we're at least having to address. Maybe it was on the roadmap, mm-hmm. but you know, all of these corner cases weren't there. And it does a really good in a desert or a highway where everything around it is 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 within that perspective. So don't blame Tesla. They're making do with a, a hardware setup that is kind of old and, mm-hmm. and hasn't been changed with the exception of the addition of the driver monitoring camera on the new S and X. Uh, you know, that change is the only change to the camera suite uh, of cars, you know, since 2016. Yeah, I, I guess, sorry. I, I uh-huh. guess Elon has said that like they were confident. I mean, and this was several years ago that that their sensor suite was adequate. Um, yeah, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I, and, I, and just let me go on record saying I, I'm not on the inside. They right. may know what they know. They may mm-hmm. have proven it in the simulator in a way that I just can't perceive yet. And, and maybe I'm just feeling its mm-hmm. hesitancy as an indication that it can't see. And but geometry is geometry, and you can't change yeah. that. You know, yeah. um, and and being confident. Um, is a long way from ruining the driver in my mind and as in calling it level five robo taxi or just robo taxi saving right. the human. Um, but I'm behind him, I'm supporting it, and I'm gonna get out yep. here and bang it out and test it. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm not really. saying that just to say to contradict you, but I'm just saying yeah. that it was a while ago that he did say that, and mm-hmm. yeah. we may find that there are situations like yours that prove that it's impossible or the U turn situation that requires mm-hmm. like something additional um or just to increase the margin of safety right um, yep. yeah well and he said that at a time when he thought the problem was simpler than he has found out that it is yep. and mm-hmm. he stated that publicly that you know he thought they were a lot closer to solving it because he underestimated the full difficulty of the problem and so yeah it's not unreasonable to extrapolate and say hey you know there there are things that he just couldn't foresee at that time, and maybe he doesn't necessarily have the full confidence today that he had when he made that statement several years ago. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What's interesting though is that on the on the quarterly call two days ago, he has reiterated again that he's confident it's going to get solved this year. So I'm, I'm so I'm so curious to see how this specific turn plays into that uh, that uh, definition of solved, right? Yeah, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts. I, I, I didn't that. hear level five robot taxi, no driver in the seat. I heard we're mm. going to deliver city streets mm-hmm. to everyone yeah. that's paid for FSD, which means they're going to have a slider in their autopilot button. They're going to accept some risk. They're probably going to have some rules. Basically, elimination mm-hmm. of the safety score is what I heard, and I'm okay with yep. that now that we, we, we we're getting there. You know, initially I was really really hesitant to let this go out, and I'll say, you know, I haven't heard of any any dangerous accidents. People are are, are being safe and, and taking it for granted. It is a learning curve, though. Anybody that gets mm-hmm. FSD passes the safety score. Just give yourself some time. You know, treat it with kid gloves. I've got a safety video out there that highlights some some points that you just might want to consider before you drive it for your first time and, mm-hmm. and possibly um, hurt somebody or yourself or your car because um, it can do things at the at the weirdest time. But there are times when you you build up confidence and you learn its domain and you know exactly when it's going to screw up and exactly when mm-hmm. it's going to be fine. There are those uh, times when you're driving it that you just like, man, it's got this down. Yeah. Well, and I think for people just to think about the difference between, yeah, having a driver who's responsible for the car being FSD wide release. And then the difference between that and robo taxis, like, would you feel comfortable putting your child in the backseat of that car? You not driving the car and entrusting that robo taxi then mm-hmm. to take your child through that intersection and you know there's a big gap between that and that's you know 
in order for it to be safer than a human, like that's the the type yeah. of difference in scenario that you're talking about. Like it's one thing to be in the car with your kids in the back and knowing that you can take over at any time if you need to, to prevent something dangerous mm -hmm. from occurring versus nope, just go. Yeah. yeah. And to put yourself in that scenario, I'm not asking anyone to put their kids in the car, but put mm -hmm. a teddy bear in the, uh, you know, uh, child seat in the back and do my tape or Velcro your head to the headrest experiment. And you make <laughs> your own choice of when those people's lives are in your hand, you think you can drive as safely as you possibly could. Mm -hmm. If you think you're just as safe doing that, as leaning forward and peeking with your kids mm -hmm. in the back, then you and I just disagree. That's all. <laughs> yeah. I see a lot of folks with like their uh, their uh, backrest all the way back, you know, like <laughs> low rider styling. So maybe I'll achieve the same safety score as those guys. <laughs> as long as they never lean forward at turns with yeah, exceptions. They still have the option to lean perfect. forward. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. very true. Uh, Ronman, I, I wasn't sure if you're going to say something there. I think you were uh, gearing up. If not, that's okay. It's okay. Because yeah. I actually have a, I have a question. So um, how does this then play into the notion of a Tesla network where you can add your car to a fleet of cars that will mm -hmm. allow you to make earn money on that car, which to me, correct me if I'm wrong, to me was tied to solving FSD. So then how, yeah. how what does that look like within that context? Do you guys have any thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, well, I do. And, and, and also, Elon said FSD is going to get a lot more expensive at the end of this year after it's released. Mm. And I have a little bit of a hard time with that because I feel we're squeezing out an entire demographic by making the cost of FSD a larger and larger percentage of the car, especially if we start making $25,000 cars and the price of FSD is now fifteen dollars or $20,000. You're doubling the price of the car for what you're hoping is just city streets. But if you're trying to be the equivalent of a New York taxi driver with a medallion, that's a different business case. And in my mind, he ought to manage that expense by issuing that app for robo-taxi fleets to people paying what would be the equivalent of a medallion to a New York taxi driver. Oh, and, let, and let City Streets be part of the product and the brand. And I've got an argument I like to make on this because I, I work at an airline. I work at JetBlue. I think everybody knows that. You know, I'm, I'm a director there, and I'm also an Airbus captain. But part of our product there is we give away Wi-Fi for free. Come on our plane. Wi-Fi is free. Enjoy it. It costs us money to do that but it's part of our brand, part of our product. I kind of wish FSD and all the autonomy was part of their product, even if the price of the car went up and it wasn't this, this add-on because as it gets more and more expensive, it's kind of squeezing out. It's kind of like, you know, another airline charging you 20 bucks for internet. At some point mm -hmm. you don't pay for it and you're really missing out, but that's not the way they're going. And, you know, obviously I'm, I'm not on their team trying to fund it there's a whole lot of revenue out there at the price point is at right now i just wonder when it will deteriorate we're getting a shout out as for a great movie selection on jet blue by the way <laughs> <laughs> there you go chuck so, um uh, just to go back to that like i think or, or back to your your point farzad i think there is definitely a gap between you know this fsd beta going from beta to wide release and robo taxi i think that's fairly clear um there's, I mean, not just from a regulatory point, but just from a functionality point, there's mm -hmm. like, I mean, it's pretty clear that getting FSD to, to work for a person is going to be different than getting it to work for, um, you know, a general use case where you don't need a person in the car. I mean, like, like even before RoboTaxi, just mm -hmm. getting it to work completely driverless 
I think that's a like that's a really big question in the community because mm-hmm. like you can solve FSD with the person in the seat, but like getting it to the point where there's no one in the seat, like yeah, I, I, I don't think anyone really has a clear idea of like what that needs to be. I mean, what what's the difference? Mm-hmm. Like, what are the parameters for? or metrics for measuring that this is safe enough that we don't need someone in the seat. Yeah. And like, that's something that no one's really asked Tesla about. It's like, you know, we we keep asking about what FSD, when is it coming? But we haven't mm-hmm. asked when is that point? Like, what is your metrics? What is Elon's metrics for eliminating the driver? Um, and, and in what domains? Yeah, because exactly. I think a lot of people have a false equivalency thinking that because FSD with a driver monitoring it is currently created in such a way that it can be used in an unlimited domain pretty much. Um, you know, once they get to single stack that it will be able to use on any street in any city that I think they lump robo taxi in with that. And that is not necessarily going to be the rollout path for Tesla. Um, you know, that could be that they decide to limit robo taxi operations to geofenced areas the same way that other companies are doing currently, um, and so yeah, that's that's another factor that plays into all of this as well. Yeah, in Texas, tech, uh, Elon, for the first time that I ever heard him use the word, uh, we're going to create a dedicated robo taxi. That word "dedicated" was the first time there was an ever product mentioned that was going to be mm-hmm. for robotaxi. So that could have been the first inkling of a fork into hardware that will be capable of all the things mm. we're talking about here. And it will actually be a separate product and available for fleet operators. Maybe that's it, I don't know. Yeah, my, my, my thought was that that would be a vehicle that had no steering wheel, no pedals. He's talked about like, um, maybe this was in 2019 or 2020 of like having like something you could do, like you could take your, Model Three or Y to the uh, service center, and they would basically take out the um, the pedals and the the steering wheel, I believe, um, mm-hmm. and then it would become like a driverless vehicle. But yeah, to to see that step, it's yeah. completely unclear. Um, yeah, to me too. <laughs> I think I think ten dot thirteen is going to help us see the road a little bit clearer. So this is just like a thought process, like sort of uh, thinking out loud here. Because really, I think I think it's going to help us see just how uh, close to, um, let's say, uh, above a human safety level, they can get that specific turn. And I think if, if there is, if they somehow figured out that, Maybe we're not thinking of, maybe we're, we're missing something. They're like, you know what? Yeah, we can do this. We can do it with that cameras. You guys, what are you guys talking about? You know, they'll figure it out kind of thing. Maybe yeah. with angling the car, whatever, whatever other, maybe they, they just have black magic and it just predicts, it just knows when there's going to be a car. I have no freaking idea. Gravitational waves. I don't know, but they'll use something, right? And then, I, so I think depending how close they get to that very specific real world scenario where it's super, super difficult for a self-driving guard to navigate uh, through with eight cameras, if they're able to solve that uh, purely, I think that we get a much clearer sense as to what Tesla's long-term full self-driving uh, uh, um, sort of uh, strategy is. Because then to me, I think opens up the window that says they will be able to achieve full self-driving with their current suite, which opens up a lot of possibilities mm-hmm. with their current lineup. Forget the robotaxi. If it gets yeah. to a point where 10.13 is still, um, 
like the, the like your turn, the, the the Chuck turn is still hairy, and and they're and they're just getting to a certain level, but it's not close enough to where you're like, yep, just mm-hmm. let this thing drive on its own. Then the window opens. So okay, so we need robot like a dedicated robot taxi with a brand new hardware suite to really get us to level five. And then at that point, will they choose to use that technology to retrofit back into the existing fleet? Or do they um, almost uh, go back, in a sense, on their word that you can add your car to a fleet because you can't add your car to a fleet unless it's level five, right? Right. What do you guys think about that? I don't know if that that came out clearly, but I think this next release has a lot of a lot of implications to it, but I might be overthinking yeah. it. Well, know. there's there's still a potential out where they could have their dedicated network in a geofenced area where they don't have those specific challenges that the limitations mm-hmm. of current hardware can't overcome and that some Tesla users will be able to put their car in mm-hmm. that network. And so technically they will be able to, I'm, there's still the possibility of something like that occurring. Yeah. and. and- Believe me, going around it is a solution. Uh, they just got to continue mm-hmm. to work and evolve that. I mean, complete. I, I don't want to set the bar as you have to be able to do this turn to call it safer than human. Use your other options. Figure it out. You know, obviously there could be an inconvenience point of in some scenarios the right turn means you go on an extra mile. If you've ever missed an exit on the interstate, you know, it, it isn't always a great solution um, in all scenarios. In, in my particular one, it, there's there's a couple of U-turn opportunities. So. I, as far as that, I don't have as high uh, expectations for 1013 as you just alluded to as being, wow, this is going to define it. I'm just hoping for median usage in an effective way to give it an extra tool to complete the maneuver. And honestly, if it starts bailing out to the right, I'm going to be like, okay, let's see it do the U-turn now. And if it does a U-turn or two in the, in the future, probably not on this release, I'm like, that'll work. I would get in this car. And, and I'm okay with that. Got it. Well, there, there is a case for Tesla tackling Chuck's turn because you really want to go after the extreme case, right? If you can handle that extreme case, everything else is gravy, right? Like if you go after the worst cases, like you 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 automatically get all the easier cases. So if you can do this with some co- with a degree of confidence, like that makes everything else solvable. Um like this goes to the whole idea of FSD like if they can solve left turns, like right turns, going through intersections, all that stuff's easy, right? Like the hardest thing to do is making unprotected left turns. That's like the hardest problem in driving. So that's why they're so focused on your turn because it is one of the hardest ones that they, they've seen yeah. or that people are they have enough data on. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, going back to the other points, it, it's still not clear. Like if they get, whether it's 12, 10.13 or whatever, it's not clear still, but I think it could be a good barometer of like where the whole project goes. Like if if they think they can get this with like, you know, like 98% confidence, you know, maybe that sets the stage for them getting everything else done and then moving on to like whatever the next steps are for getting to RoboTaxi. But like if they can't solve these problems, they need to either have a workaround or they need to keep working, right? So yeah. I, I had I had one idea, one more tool they could add in the tool chest, which is if it does have to creep out too far, like where it's in the lane, um, 
it would then be able to see down the lane and say and be able to predict, oh, this driver doesn't notice me. I need to reverse quickly and it'd be able to reverse instantly because it doesn't need to shift. Like humans have to shift and we have to like wait a mm-hmm. second for it to right. shift. So that'd be kind of a- yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see that functionality, uh, you know, if they do implement it. There are definitely some corner cases in that in that specific use case. Uh, with people behind you and, and exactly. you, know, go, yeah. you don't want to go give really the, badly, right. but if it was a suitable scenario and, and maybe it chose to creep out only when there was nobody behind you. Okay. That right. works. And, or, you know, so there's a lot of ways that that tool could be useful, you know, and if it does use reverse, I need to know it as a safety driver, which direction I'm going to go if I hit the yeah. accelerator or, you know, if it's in drive yet, it's going in reverse. And that would at least tell me if I hit the accelerator, I'm going to take over and go forward. That would be a logical way of implementing it. But there's a, you got to think through that one a little bit uh, before yeah. you write the code. Yeah. And, and there's like, uh, you, you don't want to go forward and then like instantly switch back and like destroy the gears or like give person whiplash mm-hmm. or yeah. But like yeah, that, that, that does seem like a very, mm-hmm. like a new it's adding as many problems as it's solving. (laughs) Yeah. Well, as a human, I've done it before. So, you know, if we're going to go back to that benchmark, it's not very often, but you know, Mm -hmm. I've, I've I've gone in reverse on occasion when I wasn't where I wanted to be. Right. Yeah. Did you guys talk about Elon's tweet from two years ago? Someone asked him, do you need, do you see the need to upgrade cameras to 4k and better HDR in the future? And he said, there will always be upgrades. Mm. Yeah, and we've seen leaks on the cameras and hardware for mm. at least uh, I've heard of them. Uh, they're definitely bumping up the megapixels um, a lot. I think the, I'm not going to quote it because I'll get it wrong, but there were some spec sheets sent around of, of, of what was rumored to be the next version on hardware for for the cameras or at least new camera uh, OEM parts. Um, and to me, uh, resolution equals range for vision neural networks. Mm-hmm. You know, so we, the more resolution you get, the further out you can see, the further out you can see, the earlier you can see, the more time you buy yourself for decision-making, latency jitter, all those things that they have to deal with. Um, yeah, that's great if they do. And and one of the neat things about resolution is that they don't have to be bogged down by processing the whole resolution of the whole camera field. It can just pick out like, okay, I need to, I need to like super scale this. I need to look at the full resolution of this yeah. little spot, you know, yeah. where the cars are. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. So then, um, so do they solve it by end of this year? So I think, I think, and, and and what does what does that mean within the context? I think we just went through a bunch of different variations of what that of what that means. Um, yeah, it's it's very interesting to watch this whole thing unfold. I think what's uh, I made a video um, a, a few months ago. It feels like now where my 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 headline was. Um, uh, Tesla uh, has solved FSD and no one knows it yet. And then so and what I used was um, Elon uh, taking on Twitter, Carpathy going on sabbatical, the fact that they were still having improvements to the software. And I was like, okay, that's enough signals for full self-driving for me. That that means that, hey, what whatever they're saying they're going to solve, they're going to solve by the end of this year. But I think the nuance of exactly what does that mean within the context mm-hmm. of level five, I think is something that uh, I think I need to spend a little bit more time thinking through because of what the implications are to what your car in the driveway mean, like what it means to the car in your driveway. Like, what does that mean to the car in your driveway? Um, So, and I think having people like you, Chuck, uh, just be willing to have these like open conversations. And it's not even just like, uh, it's a neither negative or positive feedback. It's just factual things that are happening. And and really the yeah. goal here is to have those conversations so we can better figure out, okay, where 
where are we going? <laughs> where where yeah. are we going? Like right or wrong, just where are we going? It's good to know where we're going, you know? Um, yeah. Another, so another data been, point yeah. to your end of the year, we still don't have parking lots, getting out of the driveway, all of these other sort of things that would be part of a robo-taxi, right? You know, it has to be able to get in and out of a parking lot, at least maybe not your driveway if you initiate it out of the driveway. Mm-hmm. And, and those features we hadn't even seen yet. So that's just kind of another hint. There's no way they're going to implement all of that in the next five and a half months. So I think, like we said earlier, FSD released everyone that paid for it, having a slider to turn it on with the exception, you know, keeping it in beta. And how many things in my autopilot screen are still in beta? Most of them, I think, are, are still That's labeled true. beta. Yeah, so mm-hmm. true. There was one uh, one viewer said a, a, uh, a few um, days ago, or, or sorry, weeks ago, I forget when exactly, but one of the points they made was that you wouldn't necessarily need to solve for the the parking lot behavior because if you're acting as a sort of like a, a robo taxi where it gets you to your roundabout location, the person can just get out of the car and then walk to their destination. What do you think about that where the parking lot situation doesn't necessarily have to be solved? Well, I don't know. I guess it's kind of like an airplane needs to take off before it can go somewhere. And, you know, I don't start off at 10,000 feet going somewhere. I actually got to get out of the, you know, get in the air, you know, so does that mean as the owner, no way. I got to get it out on the street. <laughs> I got to get it out on the street and then hit start and then it goes. And then when it's done going to pick people up, it's going to be sitting in front of my house when it's done. You know, I, I yeah. think they got to get parking lots down and that may be part of the single mm-hmm. stack. Elon alluded to no GPS required behavior soon. Uh, and I think that's all part of it, you know, but then I just don't think it's going to be solved in five and a half mm-hmm. months because we hadn't even seen it in one release yet. And just the way these things work. So I think we're going to have city streets, stoplights, turns, you, all the stuff we're testing right now will be available to anyone that paid for it. And I think that's going to satisfy a lot of people. I really do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think they've been working on the parking lot thing. Um, I'm not sure if it was Carpathy, Carpathy or, or what, but there was definitely some videos where they were showing how they were solving that and, um, yeah, it was Carpathy. And, um, and then I thought I remembered a release where they had put some of that stuff out there, but, uh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm mistaken. There were some rumors of release summon being very close uh, yeah. a while back. It just, it never popped into a, a build. I think, I think what they've been so focused on is getting this left turn thing, the unprotected left turn. If they can solve that, it's like, it's, it's sort of the, it's sort of the bottleneck, right? It's without this, there's nothing else, Mm -hmm. right? You got to solve this. Otherwise the whole thing is just a waste of time. (laughs) Well, I, you know, there's more than just this, but this is the one we're we're paying attention to right now. I mean, not just your turn, but left turns. Yeah. High speed, high speed traffic interaction Mm -hmm. is probably a better way of describing it. Um, Because you can create this in the right turn scenario. Um, That's true. You, you can create it, you know, coming out of a parking lot, you know, high speed traffic interactions. Um, yeah. yeah. And it also speaks to the downrange, you know, if you're moving really fast and you're switching from like currently they have the, the autopilot stack doing all of the above uh, whatever it is, 60 mile an hour type roads. Hmm. I but would, being yeah. able to do that. Yeah. At, well, um, I think James Down was talked about that that he thinks the limitation of the FSD stack on being able to process information that it is at a, a long enough distance away to where there's a lot of uncertainty in the neural nets. Um, but when you're moving at a high rate of speed, you're overtaking that quickly and having 
sufficient reaction time. Um, you know, that's another manifestation of the exact same issues. Yeah. And optimization of the entire algorithm. I, you know, I, I don't think anyone's saying it, it's there. I mean, I think the comment about getting up to 36 frames per second from where they are today, 30 or a little bit below, is is a good example of there's a lot of tweaks to make. Watch and build Starship. Oh, my gosh. You know, this, you know, Starship 24 in the last version going up, you know, it's just where they are now. So if this algorithm is good enough, it can get tighter. The neural networks will take over. It could get more efficient, which would lower some latencies and maybe make better decisions. I, so we, we just got to be patient and give it time, too, uh, to let them tweak um, what they're there. I'll also say, you know, no protecting being done would also sort of imply they stop changing the neural network stack. And, and we're nowhere near that yet. Mm -hmm. They still got a lot of functions to build in and train and and work on. So, you know, done is a is a probably the wrong word to use because... It's probably yeah, never going to be done. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, then from a regulatory standpoint, you know, I don't see NHTSA wanting to certify something being able to be licensed to operate as a yeah. robo-taxi network without having a stable release that hasn't been changed for quite a while. Uh, so now you're in what my, my other world there. So regulatory approval of certified hardware in order to do X. And in the FAA world, part 121, mm -hmm. customer operations on an aircraft that is certified is that exact thing you're just talking about. I can't change anything on that airplane. I, I can't add a radio. I can't add a SATCOM system. I can't even add a mm -hmm. bracket for my pilot's iPad without getting it certified. That certification is an entire change management system that is a partnership with the regulator. And then you both go through this process and, mm -hmm. they, and, and any changes get added to your, um, what we call an aviation operation certificate. And that ops certificate is then been approved and then you're allowed to go out and do it. So there's a process that has been defined mm -hmm. in regulatory agencies to do this, but the stable version that's released to do a certain thing is static. So the only difference here is that there is SpaceX and NASA, like that model, definitely Elon mm -hmm. has shown that he's capable of handling, you know, these two moving parts. He has Tesla, he has SpaceX, he has but NASA. Human-rated NASA is much, much different than non-human rated NASA. Yeah, and Starship is operating underneath prototype licenses, I'm almost confident of. You know, they've got a certain realm they're allowed to operate in, and, and they're by no means, I, I don't even, I, I think even Falcon 9 sending up a, an unmanned cargo dragon mission, it's a certified mm -hmm. device. You know, they're not iterating right. it without approval from the regulators that, that approve it. You don't mm -hmm. think so? Mm -hmm. I, I would imagine that there is some sort of if they can prove, if they can take the test or whatever that is and automate that test, then as long as it meets all those pieces on the test, then it can self-certify because that's what they do with Tesla, right? Instead of- Well, that's what Boeing tried to do with some things with the MAX 10 too. Right. And that self-certification got but him Boeing's in a lot not of trouble. Tesla. It's not Elon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, all right. I mean, I, I, I see the point you're trying to make. And, and from mm -hmm. my experience, right. in my careers, that isn't how you get to a regulated certified device. Uh, if Elon can change those rules, hey, we're going to iterate a lot faster. But um, when human lives are involved yeah. uh, and there's a regulatory authority that is in charge of that country or that space, usually mm -hmm. um, don't get to well, do what you want. In the car space, this is called homologation, right? So you, usually you homologate and then your car stays, the production stays static. But that's not how Tesla works, right? So Tesla homologates each individual car 
like on the as it's being built. So each yeah. car is individually being certified by Tesla. As being, I, you yeah. have a point that I'm, I'll mm-hmm. acknowledge in, in, in saying that the introduction of the feature that came out uh, with seatbelt pensioning is a modification, yeah. right? Um, mm-hmm. What it took to get them to approve putting that out, I don't know that process. Yeah. Uh, if it was just them pushing it out, wow, you might be right. Maybe mm-hmm. this because, is a new world. I mean, l- literally, I think, I mean, I could be wrong, but at least based on what I've understood is that Tesla is individually certifying every car to mm-hmm. like to, to Nishta. And um, it, it just seems to me, this yeah. is basically the old approach of like software, like the new approach of software versus the old approach of software. Yeah. And like, you want to certify, you want to create a test yeah. that certifies everything. Mm-hmm. And as long as you pass that test, like you can have individual unique copies of whatever. And yeah. the, the rockets are like that to me. I mean, I don't see how, Tesla adapts and solves problems and homologates quick or certifies quickly to to NASA without doing that because yeah uh, just just the speed of iteration is too. I wonder. Yeah, I wonder if they're doing like internally they're doing that where they're just like testing their own doing their own tests and then once they have something they're ready to yeah. you know it, some sometimes they submit it to NASA and they they do the slow testing of yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, it's a great yeah, conversation. I mean, yeah, it, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it comes down to having an automated version, an automated methodology for, for testing whatever you want it is to test and yeah. then getting all those things into a mm-hmm. like a suite of tests that you can perform on any individual object and just get mm-hmm. it really rapidly done so that the test, the, the cost of change is very low. And that's the mm-hmm. very opposite. I mean, this is one of the fundamental things that yeah. separates old software from new and Tesla from all the other companies is mm-hmm. that the, the cost of change has been reduced to absolute bare minimum. And when you do that, you can just iterate, reiterate, iterate, and just blow, run circles around yeah. your competition. Well, um, I definitely and, wouldn't ever encourage them to emulate the airline industry. That's for sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I mean, I just, because they've solved this problem with SpaceX and NASA, it, leads me well, to believe if they can solve the same problem with I, I still think that's an open question yeah. that you know they, they have done yeah. it with Tesla have they done that with NASA I don't know I mean they don't have that many crew rated dragging capsules in service and there's not a forcing function with the current Falcon 9 architecture that says you need to drive your cost of change on the Dragon 9 or the Dragon capsule that low because they're not, you know, I highly doubt that right, they're making right, hardly right. any modifications to human rated dragging capsules currently. Now they're going to have to solve that problem with Starship eventually if they want to continue to operate on the human rated Starship, but they may not. They may do all their iterations in a non human rated vehicle and then certify human rated and then leave that alone. Yeah. So those are, those are open questions. And I would still even think that NASA or FAA does have some requirements for launching uh, uh, Falcon 9s. Like, they're not going to let them change these things willy-nilly without having, like, some kind of certification that this vehicle is going to perform to a certain standard. Um, So even human or not, like, I mean, rockets are almost sort of, the same thing, right? Like 
you have a vehicle, it's automated. You have a vehicle that's a Tesla, it's automated. And you have, you have some kind of certification of this rocket without passengers. They're going to have to certify the vehicles without passengers and with passengers. And I think maybe, yeah, like maybe the step is certify the vehicle as a robo taxi without passengers first, and then certify it with passengers or something like that. I don't know. I think you're on track with having the data to iterate faster Mm -hmm. than most other industries are able to demonstrate safety, right? right? So the data set they have to give to whoever is regulating, I think is the important part there. And in one clue that rockets do have time, you know, the length of time from, I don't know, like the fuel leak uh, explosion that happened during fueling on that one rocket, the amount of time from when that incident happened, the investigation, to where that was fixed and allowed to happen again was that amount of time. And that amount of time is they're doing what I think you and I are talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. There yeah, was like one the, comment. Sorry, go ahead, Robin. No, 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 please. I was you just sure? saying, yeah, that's just, cause I want you just, to stop. They're it, squeezing so. <laughs> down the uh, time of, of, of investigating those problems yeah. and yeah, just kind of eliminating mm-hmm. bottlenecks, but yeah, not. A, yeah. But, I am I am really curious to see how this is going to look like in a world where Tesla has a legitimate full self-driving like level 5 fully automated vehicle. I think the 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 it's it's in their best interest to have very very good relationships with uh with lawmakers and regulators now so that when they get to that point they're able to fully um leverage that relationship to go as fast as humanly possible with the iterations or whatever changes they want to make, mm-hmm. you know, cause that, that's, yeah. that's so, so much part of the, of the, um, of the DNA of the company, you know, be having been there. Like, it's like, if you're not constantly changing, people lose their minds. Like there's literally, you have anxiety that says I'm going to get fired. If something that's going to change tomorrow, you know, it's like, it's su- such part of it. So I'm mm-hmm. blowing it out of proportion a little bit, but mm-hmm. I, I think, I think the point stands, um, real quick. There was a very interesting comment around Tesla needing to do a lot more with audio analysis, humans drive with using, using mm-hmm. eyes and ears. And then there was a comment, mm-hmm. Uh, from Donald, who's a regular uh, viewer of the show. Shout out to Donald. Thank you very much. Uh, this is an awesome point. Maybe that will help with Chuck Cook's left turn. Have you have you thought about that at all, Chuck, where introducing yeah. audio could help? And I, I think we got Elon to tweet about it a while back. Uh, and he did say it will be able to use, uh, you know, a speaker as a mic and, you know, mm-hmm. and a mic as a speaker in some realms, uh, if the software knows how to listen to it, that... Um, that it would be able to hear. And I think the conversation came up around emergency vehicles. And, and when I'm sitting in traffic, you know, that siren going off is my first clue of needing to take an action, get out of the way, or perhaps, you know, uh, uh, do what the law requires, pull over. Um, it came up around that time when the whole emergency mm-hmm. vehicle thing kind of popped up with uh, regular autopilot on the highway. And we started asking the questions about, you know, can it hear? That's another audio sense that a human uses. Um, and I think, you know, horns, from another driver, you know, New York, it's different than where I live in Florida. You know, the amount of horns going off is different. So what it means could have to be translated. But for specifically sirens and emergency vehicles, I think it's pretty straightforward to at least start looking for something and let the neural networks mm-hmm. at least start to focus or prioritize or use uh, permanence to kind of go, oh, wait a minute, that's what that is because we hear this and, and connect the two together to, to create an action. Got it. Anybody else, any, any thoughts on that, on, on using sound? Leveraging sound a little bit more. Yeah, from a theoretical standpoint, you know, using Doppler, you could even get a sense of maybe some location and speed. speed. 
Um, but just also understanding how much noise you would have, like literal audio noise, you'd have to sift through to find that and get any sort of accurate sense. That'd be an incredibly difficult technical challenge to overcome. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's definitely some theoretical things that are possible there. Yeah, you could probably feed that information to a neural net and at least maybe, like you said, like take the Doppler effect and have it just analyze Doppler effects and try to identify. It's almost like when you're looking at something visually, identifying a vehicle, mm-hmm. but like identifying a single object over time. I think a neural net could do that. I just never seen anyone attempt that as research. That's not mm-hmm. to say it hasn't been done, but most, most, uh, yeah, I would say 90% of like a lot of AI right now is in the visual field mm-hmm. or the text processing field, like audio, there's stuff being done, but it's still sort of mm-hmm. not well, trains are another pretty purpose. straightforward one too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Trains broadcast themselves pretty well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. You could hypothetically, you know, there, there is a scenario where using audio, the neural net could be able to tell whether or not it was safe to do a creeping maneuver. Um, that if it doesn't hear, like if it can project that there is, you know, there's no noise coming from that direction right now that potentially I can get out here into this road. Um, yeah. So that's, that's one possibility, but an incredible challenge. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he, we, we, getting rid of radar and combining them with vision was already sort mm-hmm. of the first clue that it's difficult to make two different sensors, you know, work together mm-hmm. to give mm-hmm. you, you know, cause yep. then you get in the battle of which one is right. Uh, right. Elon's gone on record with that one pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I am of the opinion and Elon even tweeted, nothing matters, but high def radar. I'm of the opinion they're bringing back high def radar. Um, don't know how, where, maybe it's a dedicated thing mm-hmm. or maybe it's AP4. I don't know. I, I'm, and I'm hopeful for that. There are some things that radar does better than a human. Um, Sandy would tell you, uh, you know, don't waste your time on radar, you know, go to uh, infrared near infrared, and that spectrum is better than regular vision, and you can make a very good case for that. Um, mm-hmm. So there's other sensors out there. I'm, I'm not going to promote LiDAR. I think LiDAR yeah. truly was a crutch for a time frame that vision neural networks weren't able to do what they're starting to be able to do. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm all pro radar with high def and you know, perhaps even infrared, I'd love to see some more thought um, experiments on that. One of the yeah limitations of LIDAR that really is relevant to the discussion that we've been having is, you know, when they're super expensive and you can only afford to really have one of them on your vehicle and you mount it right in the center of the vehicle so that it has the best all around view, you run into the exact B pillar mm-hmm. viewing angle issues that we're talking about here as well. That mm-hmm. if you do have an obstruction, like you're coming across you're you're passing a truck or something that the same problem. it really doesn't have the vantage point that you would have leaned forward yeah. in your front seat. Yeah. Very Good true. point about only one sensor. Hey, you know, the cost of them is going down. You know, I know China's using them pretty extensively. So, you know, Elon gave them a shout out in China going, they're working hard. They're the ones to watch, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, if, if their sensor fusion is better than Tesla's in the long run, then maybe there's another way of doing it. I, you know, I don't think that's mm-hmm. the case at all right now. Um, but they're working hard on it. Chuck, you're still good for another 15, 30 minutes. I want to be respectful of yeah. your time. I know no, we've I'm had you for a little while already. I awesome. My calendar. I appreciate uh, you. This this. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um, how much of being a pilot? So you've been a pilot, it seems like, for for how many years now? You've been fl- uh, flying planes? Well, after I graduated from Annapolis, I you know went to flight school. So you know, since I was 
22 I've been, you know, in training or, or, or finished and I'm, you know, 52 now. So in 30 years. 30 years. How much do you think that career has given you a tool set and sort of things to look for to become such a in-depth uh, FSD tester? Because I feel like you bring a lot yeah. of technical and sort of like different viewpoints on how to analyze behavior. How much of that experience has has given you that tool set? Oh, a lot. Um, both being an engineer helps me think mm -hmm. like this a little bit too. Most people think mm -hmm. I'm, you know, a little bit uh, crazy that way. But um, and the, the point about being a pilot, obviously, we're trained in certain ways, at least in modern aircraft. The planes I flew off aircraft carriers in the first half of my career were not very automated. They were what you call stick and rudder kind of things. I flew uh, jets off of um, East Coast carriers. But modern aircraft, so the 737 or the Airbus I fly now or, mm -hmm. or any even new uh, jet has so much automation in it. We have to train our pilots how to handle automation failures. And we, we have some pretty basic, basic tenets of, of there's typically three levels of automation. The lowest level of automation is you're flying. You're the one in the control of the lateral path, the vertical path, and with your throttle, the, the speed. And obviously, you know, you're climbing too. So that's, you know, automation level zero. You go up one level, that level of automation would be you're giving a little bit of it away. So let's compare this to auto steer. Okay, it's got lane management. It's doing this part, but you know, uh, and, and you can also manage speed that way too. That would be like what you would call altitude hold, maybe, or you know, just navigating a path like a flight path. And then full automation in an airplane is both vertical, lateral, and speed management, which is typically what pilots are in cruise altitude when you know you're hearing me turn the seatbelt sign off, things like that. You know, the autopilot is managing both the lateral path, it's maintaining altitude, and it's managing speed. Um, and that level of automation is what I'd call full self-driving. It's following a path I've got programmed, it's managing the directional control, and it's ma managing the speed to stop and go when it needs to. But as soon as something happens. Let's say we hit turbulence, or let's say we have a engine malfunction or something less severe, like a, um, our GPS goes out, something like that. So one of the sensors that we need is now having a problem just enough. And the first thing we do is lower the level of automation. Fly the aircraft is the very first rule. Then figure out what's going on. Aviate, navigate, communicate. We taught that from day one. Aviate, fly the plane. Navigate, make sure you're going where you need to go. Communicate, talk to who you need to talk to to manage the situation. So same thing in full self-driving. Something doesn't go wrong, lower the level of automation. We can go from full navigate to auto steer. We can go from auto steer to all the way disengage. And lowering that level of automation as things go wrong and then increasing that level of automation as things go right is, is just a tenet I've been doing, doing for 30 years. And then you get into symbology and what things mean. On our navigation displays, they're all glass displays these days. There's like a whole bunch of screens. We have iPads over here on the left. The colors mean something. You know, magenta on an Airbus is something that's being automatically flown. You know, there's constraints. If I'm going to cross an altitude at a certain height, it's a different color. So when I look at something, I know what it's telling me. When I look at the full self-driving screen, I look at that projected path. I look at the drivable space lane. look at the colors, the cones, where it places things. And I'm thinking a little bit like these colors mean something. They're not just pretty representations, but they're telling me what the plane or the car thinks of its environment and what it's going to do next. So especially that projected path and the light blue or dark blue based on the accelerate it's going to give. So when I use a car like this, I also try to articulate in ways that go back to these tenets and say, listen, this is kind of what I see is going on. This is how I would handle it. And oh, by the way, you know, it's not just driving. 
itself magically, it's going through a whole lot of work to figure out where it needs to be in the world. And I come mm -hmm. at it from a, mm, what's not working right right now? Why is it doing that? It shouldn't be doing that. If I feel my plane shaking a little bit, okay, it could be turbulent. My engine could be vibrating because of a fan blade. I could have my landing gear down for some reason that I didn't know that doesn't happen, but that would be something you would double check is to make sure your landing gear was up. You know, maybe you left your flaps down too much or maybe your flaps leak. There's a zillion things that vibration would tell me to look for. I kind of do the same thing. When my unprotected left does something a little bit different, I'm kind of like, what was different that time? Why did it do that? Anyway, so that's kind of mm -hmm. piloting and, and automation here and, and kind of where I come from. Yeah, that's super insightful. I mean, just having that model of being able to just go from full automation down to the stack to human. Mm -hmm. Like it's really hard to imagine like FSD without those different levels, because like even with planes, which are in a very controlled by the airspace and um, yeah, everything's very controlled. Right. And you still need to have that level of degradation and automation. Right. And it's really hard to imagine that, Robo taxi or any full self driving happens without that level, mm -hmm. and and it's it'll it'll be really interesting to see over like the next two years like how we ascend to that stack. Um, yeah. yeah. Have you ever sat up in row one and right about a thousand feet, you hear the linear come down, and all of a sudden you hear bleep 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 bleep, bleep come from the flight deck. Anyone ever heard that? Yeah, I have. Okay, so that's the pilots turning off the autopilot. That's exact same thing as the red jazz hands in the Tesla going, whoa, you know, it's, it's like, you know, it's just like, I don't know, you, you've got it. It's basically what that means. And that mm -hmm. alert to the flight pilots means I'm not flying anymore. You're flying. Same thing with some of the indications we get in the Tesla. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I used to be such a nervous flyer back in the day because <laughs> it's like, I just, you know, I'm, I'm just anxious by, by design, but then the, the more what's interesting, the more I got exposed to full self driving and kind of and like the verbiage around autopilot and how Elon always like put it within the context of well, it's like plane. Then I started like watching all these like YouTube mm -hmm. videos of all these pilots going through their process. I'm like, dude, this, there's like some similarities here that I never really made a connection with where it, like in a world of automation, especially if you're still responsible for the machine, there's so many like little intricacies that you have to be like a lot of people I think maybe don't think about, but are really important in ensuring that the system, when it doesn't behave the way it's supposed to, that you're always there ready to take over. You know, it's like, and there's so many yeah. different points where that can happen. It was just fascinating. And then yeah. my, and then like, holy crap, these people are constantly checking stuff. Psh, like I had this one irrational fear. It's like, what if the, what if the pilot forgets to put the landing gear down? Oh my God, what's going to happen? But like the plane, like the plane is not going to let you do that. It's just not going to let you, there's, there's going to be modern things aircraft, in there, well, you know, uh, you know, smaller, modern, modern aircraft, aircraft yeah. would, yes, but, uh, Right. There are, are <laughs> I like to make right. a lot of people ask me because I do this Tesla stuff and fly also like, well, when do you think we're going to have pilotless planes? When am I going to, you know, when, when's that going to go full autonomous? And I like to explain that, that that's a social acceptance problem. And I think that I, I usually say as soon as we can figure out Tesla autonomous driving and pretty much anyone's willing to get into a car without a driver, people are going to start to go, well, OK, I guess I can get in that plane because people do have the fear you just talked about. Or that mm -hmm. is different than getting out of a car. Some people are just yeah. afraid of flying. And the other point is, you know, one of our modern Airbuses, you know, holds about 165 people. And if that's full autonomous, I got to find 165 people per flight that are willing to get an autonomous plane and, and take that for a ride. But there's modern aviation. Let's use Joby as an example. 
one of our partners that JetBlue were invested with. It's being built out in Silicon Valley, electric uh, VTOL. And that's only going to hold like a handful of people. And that could be autonomous and only have to find five or six people that are willing to get an autonomous mm-hmm. car. The ride's a lot shorter. The risk is out lower. Certification's a lot easier. And then we're going to get into that. And then somebody's going to say, you know, I took one of those Joby planes and there wasn't a pilot in it. They still have pilots in them now. I'm just predicting mm-hmm. the future. And that, uh, you know, and, and then the day will come. I think mm-hmm. FedEx and UPS and the cargo carriers will probably be the first to be fully mm-hmm. autonomous. Amazon's already doing that with delivery drones in some specific areas, and we're doing things like that. So that's my vision into autonomous aviation. I think you're just going to have to solve what we're doing right now first. Hmm. But what's interesting is you said it's an acceptance problem. Does that imply that autonomous planes could exist tomorrow if we really wanted them to exist? Do you think it's it's solved? Or technically, still, technically yeah. yes. So I, I okay. just to give you an example of how automated an airbus. I have to take off. We don't have automated takeoffs yet on a modern Airbus plane. But once I'm airborne and engage it, if I do a full category three landing, it will completely land itself if I set it up appropriately. But that could be done automatically in zero zero weather and come to a complete stop. Now, today, I have to taxi that back to the gate manually, but that taxi back to the gate is an easier problem to solve than landing the plane in full, mm-hmm. you know, a bad weather. Taking the plane off, solvable, but the risks of takeoffs and losing an engine are so dynamic, they haven't automated that part yet. Um, mm. But technically, because sky, what we say, the big sky theory, well, what are the chances you're going to run into something? Smaller than on the roads, but there are mid-air collisions occasionally, but they're very, very rare. Um, I, so I think technically, you know, we're doing it with uh, military drones today. Uh, it's it's technically possible, sure. Well, so when you said zero zero weather, is that perfect weather or terrible weather? Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Zero zero sure. is uh, yeah. zero visibility, landing in pure fog, like you can't see the hand of oh, your shit. face kind of weather. And it's Typically, and it's automated, and it can automate automatically land that plane in that condition. And actually, when the weather goes below a certain level, I have to land automated. They won't. Whoa! Wow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's called a category three approach. It um, is a full automated landing. It gives the airline additional uh, opportunity to land an airplane in very bad weather. Uh, and when it goes below a certain level, I have to use this configuration. And if it's not working, I have to go somewhere else. I can't, can't land myself I mean, manually in those situations. The, the model to think about is, again, going to rocketry. Like, can you imagine someone hand piloting a Falcon 9 to the ground? It's just never going to happen. It's just, it's, yeah. it's yeah. humans don't have the speed of, of c- computation to make all those adjustments and the reaction speed. Um, so to, to, you, you yeah. teased open the subject there with centimeter level precision. Yeah. And GPS is not that precise. Right. But SpaceX and many other operators with augmentation of GPS and internal, uh, uh, you know, inertial systems. Have have perfected centimeter level navigation, uh, which is required to land on that drone ship. Um, and I, I know a few folks that worked on that. They used to be with me in the Navy years ago. And uh, that level of precision, if we put it in our cars, could be really really interesting. Uh, when you start to say, you know, wait a minute, I you know, and and you could argue you don't need centimeter level precision in a car, but. I'm like, well, there are times my GPS gets lost, so maybe I do. But yeah. the thing is, is mm-hmm. you don't have global centimeter precision. It takes augmentation of you know satellite signals to get it, and you can't deploy that everywhere. So, anyway. Yeah, I've I've had this situation. Sorry, go ahead, Hans. Go for it. 
I have a nerdy technical question there. Do you know if their solution to that geolocation problem, like, are they relying on vision or is it all just satellites and other? How are they like getting SpaceX, that spatial? How, they, how they land on the drone? Yeah, yeah, SpaceX specifically. I, I, they are, I don't think they're using vision. Uh, I, if they put cameras on it, I don't think it's part of this navigation system. I'm fairly certain, and without being an expert on that team, that they're using what would be called either SBAS, WAS, or you know, wide area augmentation, which takes satellite signals, and then there would be satellite signals, um, the same signals broadcast from the ship, and the, together both of those create such a high level of precision it creates mm-hmm. center level accuracy. The Navy does it on aircraft carriers with uh, a spin uh, radar that actually uses radar with very, very high frequency to use some of that precision. I don't think SpaceX is using radar on its drone ships. I, I'm pretty sure it's probably using satellite augmentation. I could be completely wrong, and there may mm-hmm. be somebody listening that's going, he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> we None of us do. <laughs> and you said it'd be interesting to have centimeter level precision in cars. What would that enable? Well... It would it would open the opportunity that high def maps has an opportunity in certain use cases. So uh, obviously, you know, if, if some uh, operational domains did want to go down the high def uh, map route, like Waymo or some of the others that are pursuing that centimeter level precision, uh, once those maps are developed, uh, can almost let you you know navigate a planner without any any vision um, in those areas that are mapped. Now, granted, you know, vision solves the problem, but things change since you last mapped it and all those sort of things, but. Um, and that may not have been the best argument, but there are times with today's GPS, I've seen my Chevron or my car, you know, like out in the woods where I'm here on the road and I'm like, okay, well, maybe this level of GPS precision isn't good enough for the planner. So we need something more. So what is that more so that we don't lose position for our planner with what we've got today? Yeah. The thing I'm thinking about is like, if you look at the pictures of Tesla loading 30,000 vehicles onto a ship and there's that parking lot where like every car every like inch is important right if you can get that kind of uh accuracy and you can pack those cars really close together without like each any car getting a scratch on it um so yeah Yeah. there's there's Mm -hmm. definitely applications but uh you could also you know you can imagine situations where if vehicles can talk to each other with that kind of accuracy, you you could get vehicles traveling at speed with far smaller tolerances between yeah. the vehicles. Um, there's, there's tons of things. So in aviation, that's called uh, ADS, uh, automatic yeah. dependent uh, broadcast uh, surveillance. And we transmit our position very, very rapidly. If two aircraft are both broadcasting, software can maintain distance. Uh, we have that technology in place today. It's not broadly mm-hmm. used, but it is out there. There was a, a mandate in 2020 where every aircraft in the United States had to at least be telling the world where it was um, every second, basically. And it, you're broadcasting your position. That's a lot of the data you see in FlightAware and these apps you put on your phone. A lot of that data is coming down off of the aircraft itself. And ultimately, this eliminates the need for radar because the aircraft are self-reporting. Uh, but in that world you just described where t- cars are talking together, and uh, military aircraft do this also in fighter aircraft. You know, the lead aircraft's radar is broadcast to everybody else so he could actually be over the mm-hmm. horizon and everybody else gets the benefit of what he sees. That kind of car-to-car communication changes the world. Uh, potholes, uh, traffic, uh, all these other sort of things. Mm-hmm. If we're all self-communicating, it, it really, really would be great. Yeah. 
imagine the car in front of you sees a deer that's starting to creep out of the woods and then you know like two seconds mm-hmm. behind or or just pileups right like one of the biggest problems with a pileup is that there's a lag there's a latency between oh, is that me uh, there's a latency between the vehicle, uh, between someone stopping and then the next person stopping and the next person stopping. Mm-hmm. But like, if you have that instantaneous communication, you'll you'll um, yeah, you, you just reduce like the the that delay. Yeah, I, I totally see that in the future, and I believe some cars are already communicating with some standard that's been created for traffic signals and things like that. I, I'm not up to it, but I know there is some traffic signal to car type of communication protocols that are being developed. And I don't know which cars use it. I know the Tesla doesn't, mm-hmm. but then you get to that you know, next level where cars are communicating with each other. And then you basically your, your own mesh network at that point, right. it, you know, the more cars you get. Uh, there's a Monroe episode that just released. I think it was yesterday mm-hmm. or the day before where he interviewed uh, this team at, University of Michigan, and they have something called Empath, I think, or MC. Yeah, yes. and that that's exactly they're talking about these kind of ideas of like having cameras at the intersections broadcasting information to the vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I thought about this stuff like twenty years ago, and the, yeah, it's just never it's never materialized. But I mean, it's not to say that it couldn't happen. But, well, uh, you need a standard, and yeah. somebody has to develop a standard, and then it has to be mm-hmm. sort of certified so the standard doesn't change, so there's you know no risk yep. in, in developing your own. Yeah. And so in that way, you could see around corners, and there wouldn't be any surprises ever. Huh? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, their position is basically, you know, level five autonomy in cities is not possible without smart infrastructure. And yep. so instead of mm-hmm. instrumenting every car with every sensor they would possibly need, you have a network that is on the physical roadway that then transmits all the information that the cars need in order to operate. Right. And this would solve Chuck's turn, right? Like if the vehicle's Mm -hmm. coming at you, know that you're there, they can respond and Mm -hmm. open up a doorway for you to enter safely. Right. And there's, there's so much more Mm -hmm. safety once we have like sort of like a hive mind control, like of vehicles all operating together Mm -hmm. Um, instead of, you know, basically we have individuals all operating out of our own self-interest, right? Instead yeah. of working together collaboratively. So, In aviation, we call this mixed equipage. You know, if somebody has more equipment than the next guy, typically uh, the air traffic controller has to default to the lowest level of equipage when they run the, the, the airspace. Um, mm. That same sort of um, penalty exists, much like that point I made earlier about how close would you let your car go to the white line. If they were all robo-taxis, you'd go all the way up to the line because you trusted that nobody was going to come over and hit you. But in a mixed equipage world, you kind of got to have these buffers for humans that mm-hmm. they don't have the tolerances that computers would. Yep. In in Japan, they have like a lot of really tight roads with buildings right up to the edge of the road, and so they put mirrors on on some of the intersections. That's kind of interesting. I've actually wondered if Tesla could leverage a mirror, and I, that's a fun use case to play with, you know, because you know I can say, well, clearly I can see it in the mirror, but the Tesla's not going to see it. Yeah, you know, there's some uh-huh. there, there are interesting use cases where people go, well, the Tesla needs to how do you use the mirrors because a human does, and imagine uh, the uh, AI team. Uh, the Notrax team trying to figure out how to develop that uh, CNN network. AGI, maybe that's the AGI yeah. solution. You know, they've talked about AGI. Maybe that's when they start leveraging mirrors. That'd be well, when we get weird. real world AGI. Yeah, I mean, it's going to start teaching itself, yeah. which is where we got to, you know, mm-hmm. people are scared about. 
Yeah. Are you saying using the mirrors? That, sorry. Are you like using the rear view mirror? No, no like mirrors in the environment. Oh, okay. Yeah. See. Never seen so one in on the same way. Yeah. Like on a driveway or something like that, where you, you, the mirror helps you see. Right. Right. You know, whether everybody's coming around a bend, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. What if uh, if we start seeing mirrors show up in your turn, Chuck? We know that's where Tesla's going. <laughs> <That'd be laughs> <laughs> they have a whole mirror team out there equipping every freaking intersection with mirrors. Uh, there was a quick question here from the comments related to your, uh, we were talking about um, self-piloting or uh, automated landings. Uh, Donald mm-hmm. asks, how does the plane see the runway under zero zero? Are there different kinds of emitters on the ground and receivers on the plane? Yeah, so um, it's done with what we call instrument landing system approaches, ILS, and the uh, the runways that are equipped for zero zero landings are broadcasting both a vertical and lateral beam uh, out there 24-7. Whenever they're on, they're broadcasting a beam that essentially creates a vertical lobe and a horizontal lobe. And the plane flying in that environment knows where it is in that you know upper left, upper right, lower, and it tries to find its way in. So the autopilot is a section, essentially flying down the crosshairs of two projected beams of radio energy down to mm. a landing point on the runway. Got it. Yeah. And then once it reaches the the runway, I'm assuming it uses what radar or something to, to just estimate its position against the ground. Yeah. Basically. So that's where the radar altimeter comes on. Which, if you've been listening to the 5G controversy in aviation, those radar altimeters use a frequency spectrum that is adjacent to the newly uh, chartered 5G spectrum mm. that AT and T and Verizon are turning on. Those radar altimeters are adjacent, and many of the penalties we've taken since we've turned on that 5G bandwidth is limiting our low visibility landings on some aircraft that do not tolerate 5G interference very well. So that radar altimeter very precisely can see uh, the ground down to you know, inches, uh, but it only turns on at certain altitudes. So it's only good for very, very low uh, flights. Mm-hmm. Got it. So putting your phone on airplane mode is actually legit on some on some planes, it sounds like. <laughs> so believe it or not, one of the things I, in 2013, I was on the uh, the committee that allowed you to do that. Uh, it was called the Personal Electronic Devices Aviation Rulemaking Committee. And I was one of the pilots they put on that list. And we worked on the rules and the regulations that changed that rule that we all get to benefit from today. Um, so airplane mode, believe it or not, is a high level abstraction from what you really need to do in a plane. Because airplane mode, depending on how you have it configured in the phone, turns both Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and the cellular radio off. The cellular radio is the radio that they were worried about. But the weird thing is cellular radios don't have to be off in flight because of interference. It's because of the rules of the FCC worried about overwhelming cellular towers below you with a very rapidly moving device across multiple nodes. So in the Personal Electronic Devices Rulemaking Committee, what we effectively did was validate tolerance if everybody had their phones on in the specific aircraft you're in, the metal tube, the dimensions, the number of windows and doors it has. And we said, if all of this is on to the certified limits of all of these bands that these radios have, does it affect the systems? And we deemed that there was enough safety margin that if anything did happen, the pilot would have ample indication or warning that something was awry. And then we did some training for the pilots and all that. On. That was a long answer to your airplane mode, but no, I, I, appreciate I have a that. personal history with that one. <laughs> Got it. Thank you for uh, making that happen for us, by the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Appreciate your help there. Um, so maybe maybe the last topic here, and maybe um, 
this uh, a little bit off topic from the FSC conversation, but very related to Tesla. This is sort of I want to pick your brain on here. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were in the Navy for uh, a number of years. Is that correct, Chuck? How many years was that? Yep, 13 active and 12 in the reserve, total of 25. Awesome. Thank you for your service, by the way. Really appreciate that. Um, so one of the things that I'd noticed while I was at Tesla was that there were a lot of veterans working at the company, a lot of ex-military. And uh, one of the things that was uh, very eye-opening fr for me from a culture perspective was that Tesla is, relies really heavily on a mission-driven sort of culture where everybody feels like they're part of something greater than themselves. And I think that's one of the key reasons why it's able to achieve so many great things. It's because a lot of people are on the same page and they understand that, hey, we're, we're working towards something greater than ourselves. We're working towards advancing sustainability in the world. And we're doing so with amazing products. And, and, and the way the, the, the company was built is that it was built around a lot of uh, empowering of people and listening to everyone's feedback. And one of the things I kept hearing from some of my colleagues that were uh, uh, previously in the military was that it reminded them a lot of, of the military. It reminded, it reminded them a lot of the sort of culture they experienced in the armed forces. Could you talk at all about mm -hmm. uh, mission-driven sort of a culture of empowerment? Uh, as much as you can share, I would love to hear, maybe we can have a conversation yeah. on it. Cause I think there's something there and there's a reason why Tessa hires so much, so many folks that used to be in the military. I'd love yeah. to learn more about well, that. Well, that's, yeah. uh, first of all, thank you for asking. Uh, and sure. also to anyone listening that, that uh, has served both in first responder or military status, thank you for your service. Uh, service to both country, self, and and uh, your family, I think is an important part um, that we can't underestimate. And uh, also, if there's any young people out there, I would also highly encourage you to, to find your way of serving in your own way. Um, it helps you mature. It helps you break out of your localized shell that you probably grew up in, like I did. Uh, and I, I can't, I'll never forget the day I showed up at the Naval Academy and I was like, holy smokes, I was living in a microcosm and all these people and I had classmates from Ghana and Senegal and different parts of the country. My roommate was from Montana and believe me, Florida and Montana are basically two different countries when you talk about the people. And I had mm -hmm. to learn about that. And then I kind of came to realize, you know, my family grew me up a certain way and everybody doesn't grow up that way. And you mix all that in there. So my, my point is service does change you. And I say that because your world gets bigger. And then to the point of having a greater mission, in any level of training for the military specifically, and most first responder type roles, you, you have a mission. You know, you know, the police force is to uphold the law. The fire department is to keep people safe. And the military is you know, to defend a country and, and, the, and the principles it was founded upon when, when called upon. And ultimately, that is your goal. But in each of these organizations, there's also a chain of command and a very specific hierarchical structure that really has no deviation. And there are consequences for not doing what is expected. And those consequences usually uh, are bad. So you kind of grow up in this environment in the military, it's its own microcosm. And I think that with a certain amount of time, if, if you survive the initial you know, indoctrination phase to where you're like, this is for me, you kind of start to realize that your own respect, if you treat it a certain way, the, the mission higher than self usually takes out some of the bad things that happen with teams. And ultimately, somebody makes a decision, you follow it, you don't question it. And ultimately, as a leader in the military, 
even if you disagree with that decision, it is your order and expectation to support that decision with the people below you so that they don't even know you disagree with it. So support, you know, and loyalty up and loyalty down is an important part of that. So I think Tesla being mission focused and, and Elon is very good at laying some basic ground rules and, and principles for the companies and especially the engineering of their products and how to get down to first principles and how to break things and, you know, remove a part and you're not removing enough until you've got to put 10% back in. I think I heard that in one of Everyday Astronauts uh, podcast recently. I love that one. Uh, obviously that, you know, break it fast and fix it comes out of Silicon Valley. You know, we don't try to break things in, in the military very often, but I, I, I do think that if you hire a veteran, if you get to know them or even become one, you leave that environment a different person than you than you came in. And, and ultimately, there's a factor of maturity you can count on at a fairly broad level to where you kind of know what you're going to get. Not exactly, but you kind of know what you're going to get. And you know, ultimately, loyalty and trusting that they're going to do what you ask and support you in your decision making goes a long way on, on team building and esprit de corps uh, in a in localized environment. So that's kind of my take on it. Um, but that's from inside the bubble. Somebody may look at me from the outside and, you know, think of the times I spent in the Persian Gulf and would have bad things to think about me because of what I was doing over there and the mission that I was supporting. But I was supporting my country and I was doing what I was told and uh, I, I did it every day. Yeah. How much, um, one of the comments that I heard from one of my uh, former colleagues was that even the leaders that were, so there was obviously, you know, you described it perfect. I was never in the military, so I haven't, I've never experienced this, but the way that you described and that was described by them is also as, you know, once, once a decision is made, the decision is made and you move forward. But there was a lot of uh, feedback sessions and there were a lot of opportunities for everybody to have an equal input into that decision. And then that uh, the best leaders would, would uh, create a environment where folks were able to all come together from regardless where they're from and share their thoughts in obviously respectful manner, but very open discourse that was removed of ego. Is that is that a factual statement? As uh, from in a close scenario at the right level. So okay. you would never want to introduce that kind of doubt or uncertainty across an entire unit. Uh, at the leadership mm -hmm. level, bring everybody in, close the door and say, we're leaving here with a decision and my decision will be final. But you don't want to like... Um, I don't know if you watch For All Mankind, but uh, with that Apple um, series now, that one guy that's got the, you know, he lets everybody in the company have a vote. And ultimately, it's a Democratic vote mm. on, on which way the company's going to go. That's not what you want to do if you're going to, you know, truly have a hierarchical structure because everybody has an equal vote. Not to say that that can't work, but that, that's not how the military works. So, mm -hmm. yes, you know. Constructive feedback and soliciting that constructive feedback in a closed environment that does not denigrate the leadership structure, in my opinion, is critical to do. And, and in my mind, that happened on the vision decision in Elon's shop with Carpathy. Mm. There was probably a room. They all got in there. And ultimately, <laughs> at the end of the day, Elon made a call. Um, and maybe I was supported yeah. by some, not by everybody. Um, but I imagine that he solicited that advice on that decision. Mm -hmm. But that probably was an executive decision. Yeah. Interesting. No, I, I, I appreciate you uh, sharing those thoughts. Yeah, it was always so the the mission driven uh, aspect of the company, again, was so it resonated with me so, so much. And it was so eye opening. We've had so many different discussions on this channel about 
about that specific thing. We've had panels discussing just the like how many companies can exist that would have that sort of mission driven uh, uh, sort of goal. You know, we, we role played a pet store. It's like, okay, can we make a pet store yeah. have a mission driven goal? You know, and we came up with with certain things. But um, yeah, I just always found it so interesting when uh, just how many veterans work at Tesla and how many of them are so success successful. You know, I had I had a boss that was. Um, ex-military i had uh my another boss that that's still there who's doing a phenomenally good job i believe was in the marines if i if i remember correctly uh one of the uh um women that i work with she was in the army and uh there was just so many different folks and i'm like man you guys they, they just took all the crazy things that would come up in tessa they're like eh, well we'll figure it out you know okay yeah we'll yeah. move forward yeah, like just this laser focus towards like we have to get there i'm like man i learned a lot today <laughs> so uh <laughs> it was always point. very eye-opening you know i think um, yeah. i think like yeah. justice kind of talked about this that it's operating on the verge of chaos and or like and and not chaos and military inherently deals with chaos right and how to make mm. good decisions in the midst of chaos and if you're not comfortable with that yeah, like it, it. I think being in the military is a process of coming, becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? Like in uncomfortable situations, because exactly. that's yeah. what reality is. And yeah. like Tesla mm -hmm. keeps pushing the comp itself towards like if you're not at chaos, you're not moving fast. You're not moving fast enough, and yeah. that does definitely, I feel like, speak really close to that same point. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. yeah, great point too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the things in the military, you know, sometimes your, your mission is coming from several uh, layers higher than you. You don't you're not even be part of the discussion, you know, Congress, presidential, you know, and ultimately they come down. And it's like, you know, I can think of some times where, you know, we thought we were deploying in six months yet. Next thing you know, we're leaving next week. And you're like, oh, wow. You know, and that jump to and, and do what you're told. You, it's just part of it. And, and you know what you're signing up for when you do that. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like my, my closest analogy to that, again, I'm not trying to like draw analogies between military and Tesla. That, that's one is way clearly way more important and dangerous than the other. Okay. Like, but what I could, what I, one of the things I could draw from there is like, you know, we would have 20 trailers show up because we worked in a warehouse environment and we're just, you know, we were service distribution, 20 trailers show up and your warehouse is full. And then, and then you're like, what the hell is that? And then people are like, no, you just have to figure out how to fit it in there. Like, okay, I guess we'll have to figure out how to fit it in there. And then just <laughs> stuff like that would happen all the freaking time. Just a uh, yeah. situation arises and then you have to figure out how to deal with it. But it's not just like, uh, uh, you know, oh, I gotta, I gotta rejigger one hour of my work. No, it's like you have to redesign the freaking warehouse to be able to take in 20 truckloads. You know, it's like, it's wild, wild stuff. But anyway, wow. uh, a lot of diamonds cool. are born to fire, I guess. Um, yeah. there maybe, uh, very last topic for, for the, for the live stream before we leave the breaking news that we had a couple, uh, hours ago. I'm curious to hear everyone's opinions. Herbert Dees leaving Volkswagen. Does, uh, does anybody know if it was, he was fired or did he, did he leave on his own? Uh, anybody know? I, I'm going to, I'm going to look it up while, while we have a, while we have a thing, but any, any immediate reactions to that? Where'd he go? <laughs> That's what I want to know. You know, he and Elon have had a pretty good relationship. You know, uh, boy, that would be an interesting twist if he's coming to Tesla. Uh, if that's not the situation, obviously, um, uh, yeah, I, you know, 
he has been the one guy, Elon, has talked highly of mm-hmm. uh, on leadership and, and leading a company out of a, a tough spot. So, you know, I think that that goes a long way to, to saying perhaps the road he was on. Um, yeah, don't know. So here's I can't help point. but think about, you know, the, uh, the innovator's dilemma in it that basically it's impossible to transform a company like Volkswagen to a new technology platform from within that the only companies that successfully make that transitions do it by spinning off an independent small company that grows alongside the new technology. And um, so, yeah, it, it seems like, you know, regardless of how good Herbert Deese is at wanting to transform Volkswagen into an EV company structurally, I don't know that that's, even a possible thing. And then if Volkswagen can't do it, what does that tell you about Ford and GM and Stellantis and Toyota? Yeah. It does seem like, um, go ahead, Mike. This was their biggest uh, pusher for the EV future of Volkswagen. And so to see him go is kind of sad. Hmm. What's interesting is that they made the Porsche head head of the company now, um, and Porsche is a niche. I love Porsches, FYI. I love Porsches, mm-hmm. but it's a niche automaker. There's not really a volume production type of brand, and it's curious to see that they've taken a niche automaker uh, expert and put it at the head of one of the largest automakers in the world. And if you put that within the context of mass scaling EVs. Uh, and their strategy, how does that line up with uh, the new CEO's uh, base of experience, right? So that's kind of where my brain goes to as I read this. Uh, And if anybody has any thoughts or comments on the comment section, do drop them down. Uh, We'll use the last few minutes here to kind of dissect this. And I'll probably create a, a, I'm going to go freaking three hours today, screw it. I'm going to create a new instance here in a few minutes, and then I'll I'll make a a decent live stream, Mm -hmm. and then we can share a bunch of thoughts there. My legs. I should have never gotten a standing desk because my my ass is on fire, dude. My glutes, man. I got a workout. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I do wonder. Well, it, I do it, wonder it, if he does join Tesla. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, Elon has said publicly he hates doing the that part of the job, right? Um, wow, it would be amazing if you know he came over to to help step into that part. And Elon would be chief engineer or something. Or president. I, you know, a lot of things there. And, and that may not mm-hmm. be what's happening here, but Elon has publicly said, he said it on Silicon Valley not too recent, long ago that he hates that part of the job. September 1st will be his last day, according to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did uh, and Do we have any comments from Elon about this yet? Or no? Did he, has he said anything? Wonder. Oops. Can spell Elon? Let me go. If he makes a comment on it, I wonder. No, he's just shit posting as usual. Okay. <laughs> there he goes. <laughs> Doing his thing. Um, okay. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll create a new instance for the uh, for the Dees discussion. But uh, Chuck, any uh, parting uh, any any parting thoughts? Dude, I, I, this was such a great discussion. My yeah. God, like the cool. the amount of uh, yeah. knowledge I've gained it has been awesome, and and really the. And, we could have talked for another two hours specifically around full self-driving and all the intricacies, but do you have any other, uh, any parting thoughts or anything you'd like to say before we wrap the sucker up? Well, other than I love this format. I love the conversation, you know, uh, it, you know, 
long form format. And I, and I think this about Lex, I think this about mm-hmm. everyone else that's doing these long form podcasts. You really get to know the subject matter of the people and, and learn a little bit about them. And you know, social media can be very destructive. It can be very mean. It can be very polarizing. And I, I thank you guys for this format and let me talk rather than just, you know, be read in 140 characters or even in my own little 10 to 15 minute you know, YouTube videos. That's not how you get to know somebody mm-hmm. and where they're from and what they think and what they're about. Um, and I think it's a great conversation. You know, this is a great engineering discussion. Um, you know, I'm a Tesla bull. I'm a Tesla shareholder. I'm, I'm all in. I just, you know, I love to think about problems and, and work on them. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what you're witnessing on my channel. Awesome. Thank you yeah. so much, Chuck. Oh, yeah. um, do you want to plug your channel, your social uh, one last time? Make sure everybody yeah, knows sure, where to yeah. find so you. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So just Google Chuck Cook on YouTube. I think uh, it's easy to find that way. I pop up most times. And uh, on Twitter, I'm at Chazman. And I think in the description uh, of this video, uh, Farzad, you put some of my contact information. I got a yes, bio sir. link in there and stuff like that with my LinkedIn and stuff like that for just people that are interested in um, where I came from and what I do, stuff like that. But yeah, you know, I, the YouTube thing is just a side gig to put it out there. It's, it's not a. I love subscribers because it spreads the audience. But, you know, if everybody quits watching me next week when they solve the turn, then, you know, I guess I'll find something else to do. Dude, I'm telling you right now, once 1013 drops, you're going to be the most popular YouTube channel on the internet. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm a long ways from that. I've looked around at some of these subscriber accounts. There's a lot of them out there, but uh, I'm not there. <laughs> but, but if you Ryan guys Hans are... Go. I was just going to say, if, if you guys are more interested in Chuck's turn, he did a video just about the turn and it's really good. Yeah. And you can see like right from the, his perspective, mm-hmm. if you're just standing there, like how scary that turn is. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're a brave man, <laughs> but thank you. It's for a microcosm it. of America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but thank you for your service and everything you're doing for right. FSD. That's, it's really great to see. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, the level of technical sophistication that you bring to the way that you're doing the testing definitely is a huge, uh, it's a win for the Tesla community and a win for Tesla too. So we really appreciate that. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. All right, everybody. We'll see you uh, in like 15 minutes here. Uh, but thank you, Chuck, once again, man. Really appreciate you coming on. Great honor. Yeah. And uh, can't wait for that 1013 video, bro. I can't Woo-hoo! wait. Let's go. <laughs> can't wait to see it. All right, All right everybody. We're All signing right, off here and broadcast.